with Priya Darshini. And Priya Darshini just got nominated for the Grammy for the best uh, debut album. Yeah, I mean, it, it was my it is my debut album, uh, but I got nominated. The album got nominated for the best new age album category. That is amazing. So tell us more about your journey. I know you from India. So tell us more about India and tell us about how you got here. Uh, love to hear that story. Very long question. Um, I know. I hope it's <laughs> a longish answer. <laughs> you want a longish answer? Okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I, I was born in Chennai. I'm, um, I'm Tamilian born in Chennai and I think the first three, four years of my life, uh, we lived in Pondicherry and then moved to Bombay. Uh, and my family, we've all been there since. Um, and, you know, as a child, as my, I was, my entire family, they've all been educated in Carnatic classical music, but it was mostly from the standpoint of education and culture like that. But my grandmother was an established singer and a Bharatanatyam dancer and so everyone had the interest in me, in music. Um, so as a child, my sister and I, we both studied music. We weren't really given a choice. <laughs> so we studied Carnatic music. And um, it's quite interesting because as I was growing, growing, as I started getting older, I maybe like when I was nine or 10, I started, you know, get, I was very interested in learning music from other parts of the world. And I was very curious about other cultures and what is it like outside, you know, out in the world. And for me, music was the way to learn about other cultures. So I would ask everybody to bring me back CDs or like cassettes, tapes at that time and have them bring back tapes for me so I could learn how, yeah, so I could learn how, you know, what, what these cultures are like. Um, and my dad also used to bring these cool Thompson cassettes and tapes and I would just like listen to them all day. And that's how I started introducing myself to music from other parts of the world. And, you know, a lot of this starts with imitations so as to try and imitate their vocal style and things like that. Who was your favorite? And, um, yeah, and in my, in my teens, I started getting very interested in, you know, in rock and in metal and, you know, all the supposedly cool styles of music because ooh, Carnatic classical was not cool, you know, in my head. Um, so, and again, that's a post-colonial nonsense so that we can hang over, that we can get, we can, that's a long shot. We all have been through that. We screen. all have been Nobby, through that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, and so in my teens, I started listening to all this music, which is also incredible. And at one point I was, in, I was introduced to jazz and um, I started, listening to Ella Fitzgerald and Miles Davis. And that just kind of changed so much of how I thought. And uh, again, through that time, I was also introduced to a Hindustani classical teacher. And I started looking for other Hindustani classical gurus because I was more interested in Hindustani classical music at that time. But, but there is a huge difference between Carnatic and Hindustani classical. And we'll come back, come to that. Yes. yes. We'll come, yes. come to that later. But but it's not ahead. different, no. but it's different also, you know, it's, of course yeah. it is. I mean, I mean, the very basic vocal cords, <laughs> I mean, literally the way you, the, the, the training that anybody learning Carnatic gets versus the training you get. And it's very different. Uh, yeah. It's very different. It's right? very different. And you know, the language itself changes 
how you approach everything. Uh, the, yes. everything. What part of your your body you're using to get the sound out, right? Yes. Right. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I started. So that's how in my teens I started really diving in deeper into studying different forms and uh, eventually like almost when I was 20 or something, I found um, my, my guru who I'm still studying with. Um, and he's, he's like one of my favorite humans in the entire world. He, he holds so much space for me and has so much patience with teaching me. So I have a lessons, weekly lessons with him even now, because that's my foundation to understand every other style of music. And so that's how, that was my musical journey uh, of, of especially music education. Who's your, who's your guru? Sorry. Name, yeah, his name is Sunil Borgaonkar okay. and he's based in Mumbai. Perfect. Um, so yeah, and somewhere in my teens also, I started working very early in my, you know, I was working in advertising and I was very curious about all of that. So I started working um, quite early on. And uh, when I was working in advertising, someone asked me, I was just humming at one point, And I remember that someone was like, Ooh, you sound really good. Do you want to like come and throw down on this, on this recording? And I was like, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's how my, that's how I started singing for TV commercials and, you know, and started doing a ton of voiceovers. And eventually, um, you know, I got a couple of, a few offers for singing in Bollywood movies. I was working in an advertising uh, production company in my, like I was, I think 16 or 17 at that point. And someone heard me, I was just humming when I was working and, you know, they'd be recording a lot of voiceovers and jingles and stuff all the time. And part of me would be like, mm, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. But I was like, no, 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 it's unprofessional. Don't ask, don't ask. So, you know, I'd be working and one time I was humming and um, the the director who was there, he was like, oh, you sound really good. Do you want to come and throw down? And that's, you know, I went and sang one commercial and that's how I, my career doing TV commercials and voiceovers that started at the same time, around the same time, I also got a couple of offers to sing in Bollywood movies. And that's how I started singing. What movies did you sing in? Um, <laughs> uh, a few movies like D Company. Um, include, I think my most famous song was this, this song from a movie called Mene Pyar Kyun Kya. Uh, it's called Dildi Nazar. And you know, these were songs that were not really my style. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you're in, when you're trying to make a profession out of what you're doing out of music, whatever comes your way, you sort of take it. That's what I was telling myself. Um, anyway, so once I, once that happened, now this was, I think, 2007 or something. Once that happened, I was, I was still singing and looking for other opportunities in music. At that time in India, the independent music industry was just sort of beginning to flourish, but it wasn't fully, it wasn't fully developed yet where you could fully, you know, make a profession out of your independent music, uh, out of the ind independent music industry. You not make a profession, but make a living. <laughs> you can't make a living, right? And you, it's yeah, correct. You can't make a living. Uh, you can make a profession out of whatever you want. Correct. You're right. You're right. Living. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, but you had, so you had to sort of be part of the film film industry, which I was happy to be. But at that point, also there were the the, the diversity in the type of music wasn't wasn't so much present in that in those few years. Uh, of course, it's changed so much, and it's the music is, is so beautiful now and so diverse. It's just incredible. But that I'm talking about the time when I was I was in the industry then there. Um, so around 2007, you know, I was looking for opportunities. Something in my heart kept telling me that I really need 
I really want to travel the world and learn more. And, you know, I, I want to immerse myself in music from other cultures and I want to study more. So I really, my dream was to travel the world, um, meeting people and immersing myself in these cultures and learning these styles of music. And uh, in 2007, I also, you know, I, there was, I started running uh, and I ran this ultra marathon in 2007. And that there's something about training and running for such a big goal that I'd set for myself. At that point, it seemed impossible. And then making my own impossible possible for me just put me on this journey of like, you know, of really want of, you know, I started to believe in myself in a different way than I had before. Oh, and okay. um, yeah, so, so I, you know, I started putting out all the feelers into the universe saying, hey, this is what I really want to be doing. I really want to be doing, you know, so I would put up stickers and everything all over my walls. And, you know, and my whole thing was keep focusing on the work the universe will give someday, hopefully. And even if it's not, don't like detach from the results. Just keep doing the work, keep doing the work. And just sure enough, in around 2008, early 2008, I got a call from someone I really, really admire and look up to. And uh, his name is Future Man Roy Wooten. And and he was part of this band called Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. And I'm a huge fan of Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. And when he called me, I was in shock and he wanted, he was coming to India to tour and my running partner and my later business partner, he, he knew him very well and I told him about me. So he invited me to join him on the tour. And I, within our first phone call, we were talking about how to use Vedic math or how to, like how he had used the golden ratios to, you know, invent an instrument, you know, and he was using that instrument called the Royale to create these new compositions. And just the way he was thinking and that type of thought process, it resonated with me so much. And I was like, okay, this is my cue. And I took it. So he, I went on tour with him um, and he called me back to come to Nashville to perform. And that's how I came to the U.S. the first time. Uh, when was this? What year was this? This was 2008. Wow. Yeah. So I started working with, with him and then I met so many other incredible musicians in Nashville, people I was, I really looked up to and there was so much to learn from. So I was just like this fascinated child, just like hungry for, for education, just like, give me, give me, give me. So uh, living in Nashville for a little while, that really helped me, you know, just try and see how I could learn all these other styles and how I could bring them into who I am in a natural, organic way, you know, without trying to pretend to be something else. That was also the time I started, started to um, respect my own culture so much more and what the gifts that I had been given, you know, the fact that I now I could suddenly see how my training in Indian classical music was helping me understand all these other styles. Because I would just have to sit in and improvise with all of these incredible artists and on the spot. And the only reason I could do that was because of my training in, in, in Indian classical music. So that really, that really was a very, it really opened my mind up a lot more and help, helped me formulate my journey in, in many, many ways. So uh, right after that, again, I was back in India, you know, because you're trying to, I mean, to move here, I have to get a visa and I was applying for my O-1 visa. And for that, it's like this much of an application. <laughs> so I have to build my application. So all that work that I was doing for years sort of went into that. I finally applied 
for my one reason, moved to New York in 2013. And so that's how my entire journey of coming from India to here, musical journey, that's how that started. And once I was in, in New York, that just big world, I was starting from scratch again, you know, completely from scratch. And I was in this dream place with, with just surrounded and immersed uh, in in art forms and from around the world and the best of the best of best artists from around the world and I was learning so much and I could just dive into any style of music that interested me and of course you can't just like start playing another style of music without immersing yourself in that culture a little bit that's another thing I learned uh, very quickly I learned about cultural appropriation <laughs> only after I moved here <laughs> so so, well, well, well. Hi, I'm Priya Darshini, and you're listening to me on Desis.Live. So, uh, so tell me something, because something that you said was, because your training in, in Indian classical, especially Karnataka, gave you a... Um, give you a better understanding of other music. Uh, did you think other music was easier once you'd had that really rigorous Carnotic training? Because I know Carnotic is rigorous. It's seriously rigorous. Um, well, I'll, my my rigorous training has been in Hindustani classical more than Carnotic. My Carnotic music training was in the first 10 to 12 years of my life. And of course, I continued studying with my grandmother, and because culturally, there's so yeah. much Carnatic music in my life. So that was always part of my life. But my training has been in Hindustani classical music. That said, no, I don't think any music is easier or, or, uh, or more difficult. It, you know, anything is as easy or as difficult as you want it to be. If you immerse yourself and ask more questions, there's always going to be more challenges. Um, if you want to get better at an art form, you have to dive in deep, 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 and it's going to be as difficult as any other art form that you learn, right? So if you're going to stay on the superficial level, then of course it's going to be easy. At that point, even Indian classical music could be easy, uh, but the quality is, uh, it depends on how much time you spend and the quality of time you spend. So, uh, but Hindustani classical music, the reason I love our style of music is because firstly, culturally, you know, it comes naturally to us and to me. And secondly, it's, it's the, I love the introspective aspect of Indian classical music. Um, when I'm studying Indian classical music with my guru, it's, it's, it has become very clear that this study is not separate from the study of life or the philosophy of life or just um, learning to be a better human being and learning to drop your egos because this entire music requires for you to be so present in the moment to be able to function from that place and improvise, right? It's a hundred percent improvise. So you can't really do that if you're not able to be in the moment. And um, also in this learning, I've, you know, it's, it's taught me so much about life. It's just taught me so much about myself and um, it's helped me be introspective and constantly question how I can be better and how I can do better and how and, you know, just ask these very important questions that we should be asking ourselves uh, just to be better people every day. And this music makes me do that, which which I really love. And I love that it's not disconnected from just life. It's not like I'm doing a class and then that's it. 
now I'm doing other stuff in life. It, it is an immersive study. And I really love that about it. So how did you find your voice? Because I, I heard your, uh, some songs of your album, actually, yeah. the periphery. Uh, it was, it, it's a very different voice, Priya. It's, um, uh, how did you get to this? Um, well, the, I think I haven't really talked about this much, to be honest. And so this background might be, might actually add to the story, but I'd lost my voice twice in my childhood. I'd lost my voice once when I was 12 years old and I had surgery and, uh, followed by, you know, after the surgery, I had voice therapy and speech therapy and, you know, the four months of voice rest. And then, I had a bunch of rules thrown at me. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. I was so careful because my dream was to be singing. And, you know, so having lost my voice, I lost a bit of tonality and I was really struggling to create any sound whatsoever. So it was very important to me that I, you know, save my voice and sing. So I followed all the rules. And yet when I was 19, I lost it again. And I had another nodule and had to go through surgery again and did the whole five months of silence this time, therapy, all of that stuff. But after I found my guru, um, I started working on my voice. And I also came to New York in 2005, um, I, which we didn't talk about, but I came in 2005 to, to figure out how I can save my voice pretty much and learn voice technique. And um, I learned with this, this wonderful person called Lisa Sokolov, who's a wonderful jazz singer. So she, I, I studied with her for a bit and while I was also working, I was studying in film school here and I was also working with uh, Mira Nair's uh, namesake in the post-production department at that time. So, you know, I, that's what kind of helped me a little, like channelize my energies into figuring out the physiology of voice and how do I use my voice? And by then I'd actually lost my, the quality of my voice a little bit. I couldn't hit high notes. So there was a lot for me to work on. And Lisa Sokolov told me that a lot of what she was teaching me actually came from pranayam, yoga pranayam, and which was like, of course, I was like, okay, so I should be going back to India and like sort of learning more of yoga pranayam and seeing how I can apply that to my voice. Now, everybody's vocal cords is, is, vocal cords are so unique to themselves, to their own body and to their own physiology. This all, you know, your necks and how long it, everything is different. So... It's very important to not, you can't, there are of course basic rules that apply, but every person's voice has to be treated differently. And so I've spent years of my life now since losing my voice um, in just figuring out the, how to use my voice in the proper technique. And um, yeah, so my Guruji really helped me a lot. The Riyaz has helped a lot. It was steady practice on a, on a daily basis. So that's just about, you know, the, the, the quality of my voice, you know, but also when you say, how did you find your voice? Uh, I'm guessing you're also asking about this, this voice, right? So, um, Both, actually, number one, because, because you're the sounds that, that encompass your entire composition are very different very different from anything else it's it's more more the morissette mode and you know i i started comparing you no no but seriously i started comparing your 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 voice and and, and, and your composition more with that genre yes and, and yet 
Yeah. yeah. And yet you are, you stand out, you stand apart because there is a soul, soul, soul that's different. And I, I believe every, every song has a soul and you got to just catch yeah, that's yeah. still somewhere and then you can understand that song and the emotion behind it better i don't know how, if i'm making sense to a lot of people You're making sense listening, you know, if I'm listening it. But, but for me for me it's uh for me uh i feel life in color and in sound and in and and, and i remember things in color and sound i don't know if that's the way a lot of people yeah. do it but you know, did you know that the meaning of raga is coloring of the mind it's I did not yes it's I not, did not. it doesn't fully translate like that but it's loosely you're coloring the mind with these beautiful no uh, melodic flavors you know yeah. it's like a, it's like a lens an emotional landscape but coming back to your question I think um the the that's a good question because the answer to that is actually the recording process in how this album was made it is very different from any album you'll hear in the sense that most albums are studio recordings um, where you have the ability to, you, 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 you know, you record several takes and then you have the ability to sit and figure out how you want these to be arranged. Everybody's recorded on separate tracks and then you put them all together. Now in this situation, this was a live recording. So the entire album was recorded live. So there's no post-production, there's no editing, there's no EQing my voice, no compression, none whatsoever. It's just very minimal editing in the sense of what we did was we, we would just play the entire song top to bottom three times and then pick the best take. And that was it. So, and this is basically Chesky Records, the, the record label who put out this record with me. It is their incredible recording technology. They're basically a, they're a bunch of audiophile geeks who've been spending decades in in inventing these incredible recording styles and their whole intention with this is to is to recreate the the vibe of hearing a band live and another another angle to this is to also be able to record the space if you're hearing something that feels so surreal and magical it is the space so this whole album was recorded in an abandoned church in brooklyn and there was one oh. microphone that was steady and a really powerful microphone. And it is very careful placements of the artists where we stand. That is, that is the whole game here, how you place every artist. And it's, I, I can send you more information. It's all available online. Chesky's recording technology is really brilliant. And what they've captured is 100% organic. And nobody was mic'd except there's one mic and no one was separately mic'd. So as you can see that when, you, when you're singing into one microphone and everybody's playing into one microphone, you can't separate the tracks. So if there's a mistake that someone makes, it's in there. So the whole so, process- so It's recording. actually the math of the acoustics then off that space. Yeah, absolutely. So how do they calculate that math? That must be a crazy algorithm. They're amazing. That's how they do that. So now, you know, and also the idea was to use the architecture of the church. So exactly. when they when they reached out to me about this, I took a beat to decide what to do, because, you know, mostly they were like, oh, you can do a bunch of cover songs and rearrange these songs or something. But I was like, you know, actually, when I'm trying to collaborate with the architecture of a space and, a te and the technology, the recording technology that they've invented, 
I felt like I needed to write something that's keeping all of that in mind. So we had to keep the arrangements very, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the instrumentation very minimal because percussion, for example, if you're playing very heavy, uh, there were a lot of bass sounds, they would boom through the, through the whole church. So we had to keep it very minimal. In fact, 90% of the record is just, um, the, per uh, the percussion is, is playing jadu brooms that I bought at an Indian store. What? <laughs> yes, it's just, it's just, it's just the brooms that you use. So that's the instrument. It's like the cheapest instrument you that buy. And it's sounds, that so sounds trivia to, to go viral with. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's just Indian jadu, you know, and um, so that's what he used. Chuck, and Chuck is brilliant. So Chuck Palmer, who, who's playing percussion on this, he's brilliant. So he knew exactly That's astounding, Priya, because, because if I... If I tell my friends who are music composers back in India that, oh, this was done in a church and uses the acoustics of the architecture of a big hall to really create the sound, they, they're not going to, they're really not going to believe because they're so, they're so used to the studio environment and literally uh, they, they're not comfortable with any other environment. If, if I tell them, hey, you got to perform on Zoom, they are not happy doing it because they want to be in their studio in their padded little world. But this is amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have a serious conversation with people. <laughs> so, you know, the, the approach, there's recording in a studio is not, is not better or worse or recording mm -hmm. live is not better or worse. It's, it's a different it's sound. It's a completely different approach. Um, and it's a completely different sound. You know, uh, when you, well, when, you right. when you that's have right. uh, so so my my question to you is uh, how did you decide that you wanted that sound and and to get that sound you had to do this what was the process? You know, I cannot take credit for that because uh, the Chesky Records heard me, Max, the dulcimer player on the record, who's also my husband, and Max and Dave Egger, who's a cellist on the record. He they Ches David Chesky was at at a uh, at our benefit concert concert we we're playing at a benefit concert somewhere in manhattan and he was there and heard us perform and reached out to me saying i'd love to sign you because i really like your voice and i think this style of music would be beautiful in our style of recording and that's when i started reading up about them now the reason that i was so excited to jump in was also because of my whole internal process that was going on around the time you know i've been going you know i've 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 been really questioning who I am, where I'm like, what is home to me and trying to embrace who I am, trying to really work through very difficult questions um, in many ways. And a lot, of, a lot of the answers to most of these questions were leading towards embracing myself the way I am and authenticity of just bringing a hundred percent me. Like I can't pretend to be someone I'm not and even if I do, I can't do that 100% because it's not me. The only it thing shows through in everything you do. Yeah. If you're not authentic, it shows through in everything yeah. you do. You so just... the only thing I could do 100% with honesty was, was if I was just myself. So that's when I started diving in deep to like find what is my voice. And if I, if I came from that place, I figured that, you know, I'm going to find my sound. And when Chesky came to me, it happened to be around the same time, which was, which was really amazing because this was a great opportunity for me to, to try and take this challenge on. It was a very big challenge for me because we also wrote this whole record in 12 days. 
Whoa, that was crazy. 12 days, we wrote it and then went right into the recording process. So, you know, and um, so the only way to have done that was to stay very vulnerable, drop all our egos, trust each other. I was really happy to be working with people that I feel safe with and they also feel safe with me. And we could, you know, function from that deep place of authenticity. It was a very emotional experience for each one of us. Hi, I'm Priya Darshini, and you're listening to me on Desis.Life. So, uh, Priya, there is your, your story and your journey is such an inspiration to and will be such an inspiration to many 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 girls who follow this that makes me happy because they all can do whatever they want and set their hearts to so what is your what would you want to tell them these little girls uh, that we 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 know are all over the world girls yeah. of, girls of indian origin all over the world who are so talented that they could they, they could be where you are too and they're yes. looking up up at you right now and they, they're looking at you and say hey if you can make this journey so can i how that's that's how I've, that's what i've always believed even when i was when i started running you know um and i ran my first hundred mile race a lot of people are like oh you can't do this it's too crazy and you know I did it and then afterwards I saw so many women breaking that boundary for themselves and it's been amazing to watch. Um, what I tell them is, is that every dream is equal no matter who is dreaming it and where they're dreaming from. Every dream is valid. Every dream has the equal amount of possibility of it coming true. Now, yes, for some, it's much harder to get there because opportunities uh, don't open up for everyone so easily because of where we're from sometimes or, you know, what we have access to and our privileges. Um, and I believe that in one has to just keep doing the work. Don't ever give up on the dream. It's I spend a lot of time just dreaming in a day. Like I dream a lot. It's such an important thing to do and to never clip your own wings because people will be telling you, you what you can and cannot do, but what they think does not matter. It absolutely does not matter. Only what you think matters. So you think high of yourself. You think you set the highest bar for yourself, whatever it may be. And in any profession, it doesn't matter if it's a Grammy or an Oscar or none of these awards actually they're just here to like give you a little pat on the back, but it doesn't mean that someone sitting in some village somewhere is is probably way better a musician than I am, 100% chances, and they're not getting that Grammy. It doesn't mean they're worse. It just means that they didn't have this opportunity. So it's not, it's not, it's not, it's none of these awards are a reflection of someone's talent and ability. So it's very important to not get phased by all the glamour and the and the fame that comes along with this stuff just keep focusing on the work detach from results and stay a hundred percent authentic because every person has such a unique story so when you speak or create art 
or do something from that space or from your own story, it will always be something that is 100% unique. And the world will always need unique stories. It doesn't need to be a genre. It just needs to be authentic. Yes. Everything, right? Perfect. And that's your message for young girls all over the world yes. who listen yes. to you. This is such an amazing message. What is next for you, Priya? Where do you go from here? Um, well, I continue to write music. I've been teaching a lot. I really enjoy teaching. Who do you teach? Where do you teach? Uh, I've been teaching online now. Mm -hmm. um, I teach voice, uh, voice culture. I teach, um, I help my students understand how to use their voice better, depending on their own physiology, uh, because I've had that experience and I want to share it with other people. And I, I teach Hindustani classical music and I also teach improvisation. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things to do also is to try and help musicians from a different style of music understand improvisational techniques and uh, through the Indian classical music way. So they can find ways to bridge all of these different styles. So I've been teaching a ton. Uh, I've been studying a lot which has been lovely. I'm uh, very, very interested in environmentalism. So I've been reading a lot about sustainability and circular models of sustainability. Uh, I'm interested in biomimicry. So I've been reading a lot about biomimicry. And um, so, yeah, and that's, that's, and also working with my NGO back in Bombay. What is the NGO? Tell us more about uh, it. So the NGO is called Jana Rakshita and uh, it's based in Bombay. We work, we work uh, with in pediatric cancer, and we also work in uh, building schools and educational facilities for, uh, especially the Adivasi communities and the Dalit communities, and uh, with a focus on girls. So, with the pediatric cancer, it's pretty much everything from start to end. We get a patient, and you know. Um, a lot of times when you're in this world, you don't know how to navigate it. You're already going through so much trauma and, you know, with, and you shouldn't have to make decisions of like paperwork and like mundane stuff like that, which adds so much of the stress. So we try and handle that stuff. We try and we give them counseling where needed. Uh, we try and get the child uh, education while they're going through treatment. We find them a place to live because a lot of them come from other parts of the country. Um, and they live on the streets when they're getting treatment. So we try and get them a place to stay. It's not safe for them. Um, we And if the child is um, near the end and not going to make it, we also try and do what we can to, you know, have their last moments be what they want it to be. We do our best. So that's one of the things we do. And then also we've been recently focused a little bit on um, on building toilets and sanitation facilities at schools in like deep in Maharashtra because we noticed that a lot of girls would be dropping out of school around the age when they get their period and um, we we figured that maybe a lot of it had to do with just the lack of sanitation and you know and a lot of these schools their government-run schools are just like you know the district schools uh, they just have one roof and like they didn't even have bathrooms. So a lot of them had to go to the fields, you know, and there's snake bites and all kinds of things. So building a toilet, something as simple as building a toilet was bringing back girls to school and, you know, providing hygiene facilities for girls, especially having a separate toilet for them. 
it's amazing how like that just helped girls come back to school. So we've been sort of focusing a little on that as well. Of course, now with the pandemic, everything has gotten harder. So. Yeah, and I don't know how these kids are able to study with, you know, lack of internet access and devices. And no, they don't have tablets. So that's another thing that uh, our NGO has been uh, trying to focus on. And my parents are the main people behind the NGO. So they, they've been, my mother has been doing this for all of my life. And my father has also been deeply connected to education and these issues. So, and I, I was always interested in animals and wildlife. So we kind of joined forces and that's how this started <laughs> amazing so um so what happens next with you with with your music career uh well i don't know you know if it was not the pandemic i believe there would have been a very different trajectory because uh, as i said a grammy nomination is just it just it's more opportunities and you know you can network more and more people want to they hear you you know there's more accessibility to, for my music um, and to, I was supposed to be touring my album uh, all over the world, and I was so excited for that. So that's all canceled for now. Um, so you can, do, you can do online concerts. We can, but you know, my band, half my band is somewhere else. And, you know, I'm with Max, my husband. So luckily, with the two of us, do some. But I'm really trying to avoid putting out too much stuff online. But there's so much already available online. And uh, maybe this is the time to immerse myself more and study more and just write. So I've been, we've been working on uh, almost this two different albums that we've been working on, a bunch of collaborative projects. So I'm just, you know, in the studio writing music all the time and practicing and studying. So, so, so if you were to collaborate with somebody now, tell me the names. <laughs> and, and tell me names, tell me, tell me some international names and tell me some names in, in, in India. Um... Wow, you're putting me on the spot here because there's so many people that I hey, am a huge three fan favorite, of. Three favorites internationally, three favorites in India. Come on, let's go. Um, okay, let's say Quincy Jones. I want to work oh. with him. Uh, I want to work with um, Bjork, big Bjork fan. I would love to work with Anushka, who's also been nominated, and she's a dear friend. Yes, and Anushka has been nominated seven times, you know, and um, I love I, I love this current album. It's come from a really deep, vulnerable place, too, and I really want her to, want her to get that award. So, um, yeah. You never know. This has been the year of the brown women, by the way. <laughs> Hasn't it? Hasn't it? It has. Kamala with, you know, so many of us in, in but so many of us have hit um, mainstream this year. Yes. I just hope it's not a fad and it's just, it's not like, oh, this is the year for them. With, and with, with, brown, with brown We're here to stay. We're so good at what we do. It's not a <laughs> fad. <laughs> We're here to stay. Correct. Hey, listen, listen, you got to dream big and oh, yes. you, cannot, you cannot dream of a, of a fad. You have to dream of this sustainability here and yeah. got to sustain it too. But what, um, so, so, the, so, so the album is, um, um, is Periphery. What's your favorite song? It's like having a favorite kid, right? It's hard to tell. Mm. Um, each one had such a different process for me, but I really like Loneliest Star. Um, I love, I mean, Home is Beautiful and Jaha is Lovely and 
they're all beautiful songs, I feel. <laughs> but Loneliest Star was really fun to work on and to write. Um, I wrote that from like being inspired by this star uh, called CX330 that's like sort of sitting at the edge of our galaxy, far from millions of light years away from any other celestial object. And the star has been going through a growth spurt. It's a young star. It's like a little, like a teenager going through a growth spurt. And it's just like shining so brightly. And uh, something about that, just the fact that it's at the edge of the universe alone, going through a growth spurt and yet shining. And no one is seeing it and yet it's shining. It's shining for, for itself. It's just doing, that's his purpose. That just, something about that moved me so much. And as I was thinking more and more about it, somehow I started seeing, seeing that star in people around me, you know, in the daily people around me. And I was like, wow, you're all just shining, doing your best every single day. And even when no one's watching, like you're, that's, that's some, that, that, that beauty of that, just like it hit me. And so I wrote this song for that purpose. And I really enjoyed that, that <laughs> process. And uh we will take a break and listen to the song now, won't we? <laughs> All right, perfect. So, Priya, thank you so much for being thank with you. us. Thank this you was such me. a pleasure. This conversation was completely organic and <laughs> unscripted and as authentic as you are. Oh, and, and and having said that, you know, we're all rooting for you. There are so many of us rooting for you, not only not only people with um, people who come from an Indian origin, but also girls all over the world rooting for you. Girls who look up to you, girls who will define their journeys and, and create aspirations around the path that you take. And that's a huge responsibility. And don't look at me as if you <laughs> <laughs> me now, but I've placed a huge responsibility on your shoulders because you're going to leave. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, thank you so much for having me and for asking all these questions and, you know, engaging me in this conversation and just listening to me. I really appreciate it. It is such a pleasure. All right. This is all for this week from us. I'm Scott. I'm Iral. This is Zane. Signing off this week on Live. Stay safe, everyone. And have a wonderful rest of your week. Catch you next week. Take care.